Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Hi, I'm Jason Aaron. I write Thor, God of Thunder, and other books about dudes with big hammers, and you're listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to State of the Empire, Nerdy Show's Star Wars speculation podcast, where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Hey, I'm Matt. And it has been a while, friends. It's been since Star Wars Celebration since you heard from us. It's been a busy summer. There's been a lot of announcements, and uh, we've got a lot of rampant speculation to imply, in addition to all of the facts that we now know about all the forthcoming Star Wars films and television series and video games and comic books. And oh my God, I cannot believe everything that's happening. Yeah, after Celebration, it felt like there was kind of a dry spell of Star Wars news for all, because they did release a whole bunch at the same time. But since then, man, all the stuff that's been coming in, it's like it's easy to start falling behind. And like there was a couple of things that were coming out even within the past couple of days where I was just like, how are we going to fit all this into a single episode? I don't know how we're going to how we're going to accomplish that. We're going to try. I should also add that this State of the Empire episode is the first standalone State of the Empire episode. formally. These shows have all been uh, originally released in numbering as a part of Nerdy Show, the show. But no more. This is episode 14 of State of the Empire. We've been flying under the radar on our own feed on iTunes and SoundCloud for a while now. But now, State of the Empire is definitively its own program, just like Nerdy Show Book Club is definitively its own program. Produced by and starring the lovable hosts of Nerdy Show, but not beholden to the same format or release day or other stuff as Nerdy Show the Show. Feels like a religious schism. Like we got a little Protestant Catholic thing going on. No, not us. Everything is on a full just... I have foreseen. <laughs> There's no schism. It's all kumbaya here. <laughs> there is no conflict. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, City of the Empire is not on a regular schedule yet. And given the crazy quarter that we're about to enter, culminating in the release of The Force Awakens, even if we had a regular schedule, it's not likely we'd be keeping that regular schedule. There's a lot going on, and we're going to be doing what we can to keep you up to date on all the latest Star Wars stuff, as well as providing our own theories on what's really happening. Truthers, as previously mentioned, if you want State of the Empire to get on a regular schedule, then that means we got to hire us some editors, and that is the next tier we're working towards on our Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdyshow, but more on that later. Even though we haven't been publishing State of the Empire episodes, we have been publishing State of the Empire articles. There's been some really critical news that's come out over the past few months. News involving really subtle, nuanced, kind of fun State of the Empire kind of things. The sort of Star Wars investigations that you expect from us. So when those issues came up, 
like new video game announcements, some uh, stuff from E3, some stuff from Comic-Con. All that came out on Nerdy Show. So if you're not watching Nerdy Show's article feed, you should, because there's more State of the Empire there, and that's not likely to stop anytime soon. Let's get to the meat of it. They announced a new Star Wars anthology film, and it's a young Han Solo movie. Now, how recent was this? Because when I last heard, it was still a rumor. Is this a rumor? Is this officially no. oh, announced? Oh, Doug, Doug, dear sweet Doug, this is real, man. This is on StarWars.com real. Where have you been? At work. <laughs> like, like the rest of America, Cap. This isn't work to you? This is life? It's a passion. It's like, but yes. So here's the thing. I was hearing people talk about a young Han Solo film for so long that it was like, in their minds, it was a for sure thing. But hey, on State of the Empire, I ain't confirming anything until I know for sure. So I keep hearing everybody talk about young Han Solo. And I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. That's just a rumor. It's just a rumor until I see it with my own eyes. So now you're telling me that this is legit. So, I mean, if it's on StarWars.com... That's, uh, that pretty much uh, seals it. Yeah, I mean, I was right there with you, man. I've been saying, hell no, that's not going to happen for, well, over a year now. And I, I regret to inform that uh, young Han Solo is actually a thing. I could not believe it. I keep going back and forth about my... I mean, immediately I had a, a wide range of emotions on both sides <laughs> of the spectrum. Because I don't think anyone really wants to see a young Han Solo film. People that like Han Solo like the mystery. I mean, that's the whole, kind of the whole point. But then... They give us the, the crew that Lord and Miller are making it. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, that's awesome because they've had such a great track record with movies thus far. This is Phil Lord and Chris Miller who did the Lego movie and uh, the Jump Street films. They're directing this movie. Which is a great choice. And then I go back to, well, all right, now if they're doing a young Han Solo film, first of all, someone has to come into some you know, pretty big shoes you know, to be young Harrison Ford, young Han Solo. Does that mean that... There's no chance for us to get a TV show set post-Return of the Jedi that would feature that same actor, because he probably wouldn't want to go from being a movie star to a TV star, at least not immediately. Right. So that kind of throws a sort of post-era out the window. So now, like, their hope is probably going to be a series of sequels, that this wouldn't be just one Han Solo film. I mean, look at how Marvel's doing their cinematic universe. So then we would have multiple Han Solo films that have to take place before A New Hope. Well, even then, before New Hope, it's like they'd have to take place really soon before New Hope, because then otherwise it's going to be three days before New Hope and you have a different actor playing Han Solo. And it's not even young Han Solo anymore. It's just Han Solo. Yeah. And then and the Kasdans are writing it. It's Lawrence Kasdan and his son, correct? Yeah. John Kasdan, whose only formal credit is he wrote and directed a Adrian Brody film called In the Land of Women in 2007. Well, nepotism's a good thing, you know, for the nepotee. But <laughs> <laughs> at least... It is Lawrence Kasdan, and the man wrote Han Solo better than anybody else. I mean, his most iconic lines are certainly, I would think, from Empire for sure. Not only did he write Han Solo, but he also wrote for Indiana Jones. So if there's one guy who knows how Harrison Ford's supposed to sound in these roles, he would know. I'm very supportive of Lawrence Kasdan still being involved because Empire is my favorite Star Wars film. However, there is that sort of looming idea that is he so old now that he will turn into a George Lucas of this era of Star Wars. It's a reasonable threat because they're announcing all these things and we're trying to have opinions on them and we don't even have a proof of concept for whether or not they can pull it off yet. We've seen a lot of really encouraging material and certainly with this many films and projects coming out, some of them are good. I mean, Rebels is good, but we don't, we don't know yet. We really don't know shit. I give him benefit of the doubt purely because he's moved on beyond Star Wars. He's worked on many other things outside of it, so it's not like his identity 
it's attached to it. It's not going to make or break him, you know? He's already known for doing Empire Strikes Back and everything else, so it's not like he has anything to prove to anybody. It's very back and forth on how I feel about Kazan being so heavy-handed in what's coming out initially, anyway. Yeah, he's taken over for writers who we were really into, like Michael Arndt. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a very good point. I'm still against the idea of seeing a young Han Solo anything, but now that it's confirmed, at this point, I'm just like, well, let's just hope it's really good. I would just want to see something that's more like an ensemble piece where young Han Solo just happens to be. I just want to see Ocean's Eleven with young Han Solo, a young Lando, young Chewie, or, or something entirely different that we're not even expecting. I actually think casting young Lando would be 10 times harder than casting young Han Solo. <laughs> I really do. I think, and you know what, it's not even necessarily that... that Lando is much more nuanced character. I mean, probably is really and the fact that Billy D. Williams is so unlike a lot of people. But I think Harrison Ford, at least the way he portrayed Han Solo, and it really seems to be pretty close to like actual real Harrison Ford, at least in mood. You can get away with audiences, especially younger generations, convincing them that someone is just like a young Han Solo. Like, for example, Chris Pratt in Guardians of the Galaxy. I saw a lot of comparisons to that. Quite frankly, the two characters couldn't be any more dissimilar. I to agree. Me. And yet, because he's so likable in his own way, and the fact that he's a scoundrel, people said, oh, he's totally young Han Solo. I think you can get away with a young modern interpretation that people will like that is different. And yet people will say, oh, no, it's totally the same. Just like people have said Jurassic World is like, oh, yeah, I love that movie. It's just like uh, the most faithful Jurassic Park sequel that's ever come out. It's bullshit. But, you know, I think you can get away with it just because modern audiences have a particular taste that they want to associate. Loaded statement, by the way, the uh, the great Jurassic World debate rages on. If you want a link to where that's going on, it's on the Nerdy Show forums and it'll be on this episode's page. (laughs) You can have a modern interpretation of Han Solo that is different yet valid. But Lando, I see what you're saying. You really can't do a modern interpretation that's different yet somehow feel the same. Yeah, and I, no, I, I, I don't think it's possible. What you guys are putting forth here, without saying it in so many words, is that you're, you're talking about a very young character because we're talking about a young Han Solo, like younger than Harrison Ford already was. And if you're talking about Lando, you're talking about younger than Lando has been represented in either the Lando comic, which recently started coming out, the miniseries written by Charles Soule, or his appearance on Star Wars Rebels, where he is played by Billy Dee Williams. So that's pretty young. Yeah, I think he was like early 40s when Empire came out, Billy D. If you want to do it a decade beforehand, but if you're doing a decade beforehand, I mean, you're looking at Republic transitioning into Empire phase, which could be interesting. I think we're more likely than not going to get like a cadet, because Han Solo was a cadet in the Imperial Academy, was he not? Well, at at least, yeah, old, yeah, old. I mean, I think that was Lucas's original intention. Yeah. But I don't think it's ever written anywhere except, I think, maybe like the original movie novelization but those aren't canon right so we don't really we don't really know exactly it's possible but like we're gonna see maybe like late teens han solo i think is what we're gonna see then what the heck kind of movie is it gonna be is it gonna be the twilight but with han solo like it's just gonna have young teen romance like but that's not what people want to see they don't see young teen romance of han Solo. i I mean i don't want to see young han solo period but here's what lord miller had to say This is the first film we've worked on that seems like a good idea to begin with. We promise to take risks, to give the audience a fresh experience, and we pledge ourselves to be faithful stewards of these characters who mean so much to us. This is a dream come true for us, and not the kind of dream where you're late for work and all your clothes are made of pudding, but the kind of dream where you get to make a film with some of the greatest characters ever in a film franchise you've loved since before you could remember having dreams at all. That sounds nice. 
and it did also mention characters, which indicates either, you know, a Chewbacca sidekick or a Lando or a Jabba, or I don't know what they consider to be some of the greatest characters ever made. Or they're going to relive the scene from Tales of the Bounty Hunters where uh, Han Solo, like, screws over Dangar when they were teens. Yeah, well, I actually, Bounty Hunters is an interesting, you know, including that, because, I mean, I would have thought with the original idea to give Josh Trank a Boba Fett-based film that they would kind of keep those separate, but maybe maybe now they want to wrap it all up and bring the Bounty Hunters. Maybe so. I can confirm that Solo isn't the movie that Josh Trank was originally attached to. So whatever anthology film Trank was going to direct, which I still personally think is Boba Fett, that's not the case. Here's a thought. For a young Han Solo movie, depending on how young they want him to be, think about how hard it's going to be to recast Harrison Ford, like just to get that image out of your head. Now, when you think of young Han Solo, you think, oh, well, you got to have a young Chewie there, too. But Chewie was already a few, like, hundred years old when he first met Han Solo. So Chewie's going to look identical to how you've always seen him. Right, because he did in episode three. Yeah, like, how much harder is it going to be to have someone who's not Han Solo standing next to actual Chewie, and you're saying, this is Han Solo now? I, I think the only thing they can do is go before Chewie, and maybe just, if it's young Lando, young Han Solo before Chewie, before all that stuff, and, I mean, I don't know when he uh, bumped into Dengar, if that if Chewie was around for that or not, but, I mean, like, that'd be an interesting story to have other bounty hunters, and just bounty hunters and scoundrels before Chewie. Yeah. Like, that might be the only real fertile ground to go before you start getting things looking really strange. Like, it's it's not like James Bond where you can keep the same M and switch James Bond and people just go, ah, eh, whatever. You know, it's like, but when you have in, these people who are friends, it's going to be weird. In the original continuity, you know, Legends, it was, Han was kicked out of the Imperial Academy because of Chewie, because he, Chewie was an Imperial slave that he didn't, enjoy watching him being like electro whipped cyber whipped i don't know some sort of uh thing but <laughs> you're but gonna get that, the that was cyber what... whip <laughs> god that should be a sound bite for the show <laughs> right after willow watch <laughs> <laughs> no it's for it maybe bad ideas <laughs> that idea gets the cyber whip but uh yeah so it's like they gave me the cyber whip they didn't even ask me any questions <laughs> I did some quick math, and I know actor age doesn't mean anything when it comes to how old Han actually was in A New Hope. Using 35, the age that he was, which is incredible when you think about it. He was 35 in 1977, and that would put him at 17 years old when the Republic fell. So already, there's some weird things about the you know, prequel continuity and the fact that, I mean, I, I can understand someone like Han's character not believing in the Force, because, you know... He, you probably don't see it on display every day. But, like, he sounds very skeptical of the idea of even a Jedi, period, in A New Hope when they're training. Right. If you grew up on Corella, like, is it possible that he just never saw a Jedi? I mean, when the Republic fell, the Clone Wars were already happening. So if there were any Jedi that were just being peaceful Jedi around, whatever, he probably hadn't seen them because they're off fighting the war. Uh, so he never even left the planet. He may have never even seen a Jedi. We, this is, like, you're hearing this all secondhand. <laughs> we, we can no-prize this any which way we choose, but I think it really boils down to a reoccurring problem of the way that Lucas wrote the mysticism of the Jedis in the first film and then the extremely short gap between the two trilogies. Extremely. And that's why I need to see more horrible Empire atrocities because if they were in power for only 18 years and it was supposed to be like the darkest point in you know the universe's history, I've got to see more to indicate that. And obviously with a new canon, they, they have time and space to do that. But Kenobi's age makes no sense. It like, was uh, the sun. He 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 got old in the sun. 
Yeah, well, that's that's yeah, the man, way Luke they've Skywalker's done it. He's only twelve years old, and man, and then it just the son it just makes him look like he's sixteen or seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out about young Han Solo on May twenty fifth, twenty eighteen. One plot element that could show up in the movie, depending on how it chooses to go down, is the recent reveal of Sana Solo, Han's alleged wife, in Star Wars The Comic, Issue 6. That particular plot line hasn't actually been followed up on yet. Instead, there was an entire flashback issue dedicated to Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is really cool, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But Sana Solo and whatever that plot line might be, depending on how far they fleshed out, could maybe be a player in this film. Eh. I really do think that's actually going to be the case because they're going to need some sort of interesting female lead to keep that. You know, I mean, it's just the way you make movies. We all know he, quote unquote, ends up with Leia, though that remains to be seen with episode seven. But we know he's not going to maintain his romantic relationship from whatever he has in this anthology film or series of films. That all makes sense, and that all sounds right for making a movie, and then you're hitting all the right moments, but to me it still comes down to, oh, so now there's even less for me to be surprised about. If I, when I go see this movie, this new character, oh, but I read the comic, I know she's going to live. Literally everyone's going to make it. And then the one guy that you've never heard of, even if you've been following up on the comics, if anyone's going to die, it's going to be that guy. You know, And then sure enough, I just don't know what I'm supposed to be expecting. It's just a bad idea. It's like, I mean, for the comics, introducing this character seems kind of cool. But if this is purely to set up a movie, then you've already spoiled the ending of that movie. Well, and there's a lot of time between now and then. And also, that's a cliffhanger that's going to probably be addressed. We could get the whole story. It might be a ruse. And lots of people were up in arms about, oh, my God, but Han's an adulterer. And well, it's I mean, every little bit of that is all speculation. It all remains to be seen. Han's not supposed to be an adulterer. He's a scoundrel and a smuggler and a drug smuggler <laughs> and a thief and a lovable thief. It's interesting how many you know people are upset about Han not shooting first. But yet, for some reason, Han as a possible adulterer, that just, I mean, people just, they, they were pretty livid, at least initial reactions. But moving on from there, the other big moment so far is uh, Comic-Con. They had the massive panel at Comic-Con. Not a lot of announcements to come out of it, some cool details. We'll link on this episode's page to um, a, a video compilation that io9 put together. It's got some of the highlights from the event but it's really more about the announcements and subtleties that came from it. For example, Chewbacca is getting a five-issue miniseries from Marvel coming in October. It's written by Gary Duggan and illustrated by Phil Noto and set just after the Battle of Yavin, where Chewie is struggling to make his way back to the Rebellion after crashing alone on an Imperial-occupied planet where he meets a young girl named Zero. That is all we know. I think it's interesting Marvel is filling that period where they're old comics when they had the license back in the 70s and 80s. Like, they're just... All right, new continuity, let's just fill up that gap again. And it, it's fine. It, it's cool because it actually hasn't been, well, I guess towards the end of Dark Horse's run, they were definitely doing some good stuff in that era. But there was a period in like the early, mid-2000s where all that stuff that took place in the original trilogy era was just not good. But it really does feel very uh, kind of retro cool in that regard, that Marvel is like doing quality work to kind of, you know, give the heroes more adventures. Yeah, it's all in kind of a similar space and time, which is a bit awkward because it's like, well, okay, how does this all fit together? Is this like we're trying to solve the Wolverine problem of where is he at a given well, moment? Well, and that brings up the crossover thing that, that also has been announced. They're doing a crossover event between the Star Wars series and uh, Darth Vader. Vader. Yes. Yeah, Vader down. Yes, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Those two books have been operating in tandem quite a bit, including um, both of them ending like on the same note. 
where Vader gets some information about young Skywalker and him like being so enraged that he cracks the glass on a Star Destroyer. And that scene took place as different sort of extended versions with uh, Vader talking to Boba Fett in both comics, which is neat. They've been playing off each other really well. But as for how Chewie fits in, well, I don't know. But just it's just some stuff that happened to Chewie one week, you know? Chewie's crazy, wild weekend. Which feels very dark horsey in that it was just kind <laughs> of like, a, oh, here's just a quick adventure that happened. From the, uh, the toy end of things, we had the first official Force Awakens figure release, which is a Star Wars Black Series First Order Stormtrooper. Black Series is the premium action figure, six inches, lots of detail and articulation. And so they, they put those bad boys out, but they also displayed some Black Series action figures, including a First Order TIE Fighter, which actually contained some details for how some scenes in the film might go down. It was pretty cool. According to a Hasbro rep, he explained to uh, Jessica and I that uh, it's a two-seater TIE Fighter, and the two seats face in opposite directions, one alongside the other. And we were wondering, we didn't really voice our questions in an episode of State of the Empire, but we were always kind of curious, well, if that scene that's been rumored of Poe and Finn escaping on a TIE Fighter takes place, how do two of them fit in there? Is it going to be like cramped and weird? And the answer is like, no, this actually points to an amazing action sequence happening as they escape the uh, First Order Star Destroyer. Do you think the, the seats rotate or do you think it'll just kind of be a cool back to back sort of thing? It's kind of back to back. I couldn't take a good photo of it, but the way I could sort of see it inside the cockpit of this thing was that the heads are kind of alongside each other. So the seats sort of overlap. It should be pretty dynamic. It's going to be a lot of fun. It reeks of like really good yelling at each other dialogue. Yes. I mean, two people that probably do not trust each other being thrown into the situation. Oh, that's it's exciting. Yes. Did anyone else when they saw the, the TIE fighter, when it was revealed that the seats were facing that way? Maybe it's just me. But does anyone else remember this old skit from Saturday Night Live called the Love Toilet with Kevin Nealon? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> that's, I, that is the first thing I thought when I saw those things sitting side by side. I'm like. I've seen that before on, on <laughs> SNL. I should add, you can see pictures of this TIE fighter on Nerdy Show. We'll have a link to the article on this episode's page. And the toy is massive. It's 26 inches, and it'll cost $169. I'm going to spend so much money on September 4th. Well, but it's you're... It's not a toy, Dad. It's a Black Series TIE fighter. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not going to spend money on this guy because it's going to come out shortly after Force Friday. Oh, interesting. Force Friday is, of course, September 4th, as Matt said, and that might be the next State of the Empire <laughs> subject. We might record a thing immediately after that. It's a midnight event happening at Toys R Us where all the new figures are coming out, very reminiscent of uh, the craziness that went down when Phantom Menace came out. And we expect that it will... Midnight Madness. Yes, it, was, it could reveal a lot about the film, or in this case, I suppose, confirm all the crazy stuff that we've been telling you, or Making Star Wars has been telling you, if you've been following them as well. Um, Man, the Midnight Madness for Episode 1 didn't reveal diddly squat about, about the movie. Attack of the it's Clones, like, though. Do you guys remember that crazy <laughs> I thing? I sure the, do. The Jango Fett figure? Yep. His head fell off. <laughs> How does that happen? Like, why? <laughs> I don't know. Like, immediately, everybody knew. It was a knew. feature. It was supposed to be, like, in the movie. <laughs> but it's just funny that you know months ahead of time we know Django's fate. Much like which, how... by the way, also coming out on Force Friday is the um, first post Return of the Jedi novel. Yes, yeah, Star Wars Aftermath. It's uh, going to be a busy day. <laughs> yes. Another cool thing they showed off at Comic Con was also Star Wars Black Series for Kanan and Ahsoka, which is really funky because they are live action. They're IRL Kanan and Ahsoka. They look like real people. 
And, you know, that, that's always a tough thing to try to convey well, and I think those look really good. Yeah, they look great. That's at the end of our toy news, though. Recently, a source informed a website called the Jedi Temple Archives that the uh, standard action figure line for The Force Awakens features a Darth Vader figure. I refuse to read too much into that. It could literally be anything. It could just be like a limited edition thing. I mean, look at the Jurassic World when you had the uh, the Triceratops-Stegosaurus mashup that wasn't even in the movie to begin with. It's just there to be part of the toy line. So yet again, we can sell another Darth Vader figure in different packaging. The packaging I've I've seen, it didn't say Force Awakens, it just had Kylo Ren on the front. That was like the packaging line. It could be every new figure has Kylo Ren as the packaging. Yes, that's true. There are figures that are currently out in stores right now in some places where you'll see Kylo Ren on the packaging. But if everybody was reading this information correctly, it was as in the line that is specifically Force Awakens that comes out on Force Friday will have Darth Vader in it. Make of that what you will. Maybe it's a flashback sequence. Maybe they just want those Darth Vader dollars. Maybe someone puts on a Darth Vader outfit during the film. Maybe Kylo Ren is like, no, I'm, I'm going to be Darth Vader. Who knows? It could be anything. Speculation is flying. But there's more toy news, because if you know where to look, packaging with Kylo Ren might not be the only Force Awakens stuff you'll find. In Canada, someone actually found a store where they were selling Micro Machines playsets from the film that hypothetically weren't supposed to be out yet. Apparently, the Micro Machines are going to have a huge presence. They're going to have more than 50 individual pieces from The Force Awakens, and they're bringing back those playsets from the early 90s that were like vehicles and character heads that opened up, and then you could, you know, take a little figurine that's not to scale with the vehicle and then fly a vehicle around. And <laughs> I never had I... any of, of the heads pieces or whatever, but I, I did collect a lot of the action fleet ones where yes. um, I have a ton of those and I adore those. And the fact that they're making 50 of them for The Force Awakens, I'm just like, oh, I don't I don't I don't know if I can handle that. I might get one or two, but that's it, uh, yeah, it was actually the mention of the action fleet that actually gave me a very heavy set of chills. <laughs> like I just that really made me happy. The playset that released was a Millennium Falcon that um, opens up into a Jakku playset. What's kind of weird about that is that also in the packaging was a First Order Stormtrooper head that also opens up to a Jakku playset with a Millennium Falcon. I, I don't know why they're... It looks like they're doubling down on the same idea or two parts of Jakku. And the other one is a First Order Star Destroyer that opens to an interior of the First Order Star Destroyer. Nothing really to read into there, but I got a few of the, uh, the heads when I was a kid. They look great on a shelf. The playset's kind of boring. Mighty Max was a little bit more fun to play with, even though that whole Polly Pocket sort of style is still pretty limited for play. But I don't know. They're fun to have on a shelf, which isn't a great thing to say about a toy. But tiny ships, though, those are cool. Action Fleet, man, that's where it's at. Those it, things actually did battles and shit. They're as much Star Wars to me as the actual original movies were. Wow. And I feel that's because when you don't have as much access to just being able to watch the movies constantly, you know, you'd have to hope that your Barnes and Noble had the most recent book or and this is before some, the internet. This yes. is before all that stuff. This is all this is the only tangible thing you could have that was movie accurate and you could just hold it in your hand and have your own adventure with it. And to me, like it's the original films, the action fleet, and then X Wing for PC. Those that, to yeah. me are <laughs> the core of Star Wars. And though each of those things are as Star Wars to me as the actual movies themselves. Did you get the Action Fleet special thing that they did with an X-Wing and the TIE Fighter where they had the handles that had the sound effects on them that you could actually shoot the lasers? The, I the, don't. Um, oh man, no, they had it was an Action Fleet X-Wing that if you already had an X-Wing, you could stick it onto this handle that was basically just a joystick 
that had three little buttons on the back that had the different sound effects of the S-foils locking into position and uh, had Obi-Wan saying, use the force or whatever. And the other one was just firing the photon torpedoes. And you, you pulled the trigger with your index finger. It would actually shoot out little translucent red plastic bits spring-loaded. And you could get that and you can get a TIE fighter one with a friend and you could just duel shooting after each other. It's freaking great. It's like you're running with a joystick in your hand with an X-Wing or a TIE fighter facing away from you. And just for a simple little toy, it was genius and gave hours and hours of entertainment for any Star Wars fan of, well, oh, yeah. of that age. I never had that stuff, and that sounds pretty cool. But hey, how about we talk about Force Awakens? Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah, right? What, what even is that? After we did that episode where we broke down an outline of all the major plot points for the film, websites such as Making Star Wars have had, man, extensive postings on all kinds of hypothetical details culled from multiple sources, insiders, and so on, that have basically increasingly detailed outlines of how the film could go down. We could get into the specifics of all that, but it's a can of worms and you just even reading it, it's kind of like where to even begin with this. There's so much possible details there, but we're going to source to exactly what we know. And that is Wicked is back and so is Akbar and Nim Num. I understand Akbar and Nim Num. Wicked, I, I, that first of all shocks me, you know, because he walks Could be kind a flashback. Of- Could be a flashback. But if the bad guys are fascinated with Sith relics or Vader relics, what's to say that there's a flashback to when Luke Skywalker's burying his father and Wicket's there in the bushes watching? Like, you know, it's like, I mean, I know that's kind of a dumb cutaway. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard that he's guarding Vader's grave. <laughs> oh, great. Oh, yeah. He'll do a great job of that. Yeah. It's like, but, listen, Wicket, I know you don't really understand how the Force works and you think C-3PO is a god. But if anyone comes looking for this dead guy, <laughs> yeah. you need to keep him far away. Even though they may have magical powers, don't be afraid. Here's, here's your spear. Now, Good luck. Okay, now hold on a second. I think that's shockingly dismissive of the nobility of Wicket the Ewok. And and hold on a sec. Nobility ain't got shit on the Force. If, if the Sith rolls into town, what's nobility going to do okay, to the Okay, I'm not saying anyone told Wicket to guard it. I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Wicket's well aware of what this bizarre funeral pyre with this disgusting armored corpse inside of it, what that could represent. He knows it's it's evil. He's he's waiting for that helmet to turn into a drum set. (laughs) (laughs) Nobility. What is nobility? Give me me that. Wicket is a very, very important Ewok. We've seen this in the two Ewok films, which may or may not be canonical. That is true. We know for a fact from the ultimate Star Wars guide that a lot of the ecology presented in those films is, in fact, a part of canon right now. So we may as well include those films as canon. Whether or not we're going to see Sindel show up, you know, as a reporter as she was in the Expanded Universe, who knows? But that said, my bet is that Wicket, who's, I might add, played by Warwick Davis, he's watching over this scene. He was going to show up, whether he's guarding or not, I don't know. He's going to show up as Kylo Ren is digging through Vader's bones and so on. And I think he's going to die. Isa thinking, Wicket going to die. Man, that's... It's not even that... I I think it's going to be a really obvious kind of ham-fisted statement by killing a beloved Ewok. I mean, everyone's like, oh, I fucking hate the Ewok. Exactly. How are you going to feel now when he has a last stand, a brave last stand against whatever bad he's going to come and mess with the shit? That's what I'm saying. I think they're going to do that. I I don't know how I feel about it, but I think that's what they're going to do. Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know. I hope that isn't the worst thing that he does, though. If that is like his blowing up Alderaan or torturing Leia, then that's, yeah, it is sort of a weird ham-fisted 
JJ ain't afraid to blow up Vulcan. I'm pretty sure he's going to be okay with doing more than killing an Ewok. And also his handling of uh, Hoffman's character in Mission Impossible 3. He can make villains villainous. I didn't like Nero in Star Trek, but he certainly did something freaking horrible. You know, Alderaan was created for the sake of being blown up. But Vulcan had long, long decades of lore and just obliterate. Yeah, and I think that based on the hatred towards Ewoks, just or unjust, however you choose to call it, it seems like, one, Wicket gets a noble end, though horrible. And then two, if anybody thinks, well, this is, you know, I'm really concerned about the George Lucas presence in the Star Wars. Well, hey, I'm going to take that fluffy, cute thing that some regard as a black moment in the original trilogy, and I'm just going to straight up kill it. Man, it bothers me sometimes when they have to make statements. That seems like a statement move. It is. And it could be handled well. I mean, if if it seems like, you know, they didn't just throw Wicket in for the sake of, of doing this... But it, it's going to. Like, I can't imagine it's more than a scene or a collection of two or three scenes. And there's also the chance that Wicket is not in the film. This whole news break came from uh, promotional material, specifically a press book handed out on a Japanese press tour. And it could just be that something was typed wrong or the translation is fine, but it could have been written in error. No one's really sure. As for Akbar and Neem Num, those guys come from leaked production art. And it's interesting because Neem Num. They're turning him into a, a serious character. <laughs> it would not have been the one that I chose. I, yeah, I know. It's, it's... As a kid, I was always like, I didn't like him. <laughs> and it, I don't know why, but I, for whatever reason, every time I was watching Return of the Jedi, it's always like, ah, oh, this freaking guy again. Like, I'm expecting someone else to show up. Because it's like, why is it okay for Han Solo to have a sidekick like Chewie, who doesn't speak English, and I, you can't understand a word that he says, but he's totally fine. But for some reason, it always rubbed me the wrong way that Lando had another sidekick that didn't speak English and you didn't understand what he was saying. And I think maybe because Lando's dialogue was always more exposition in that sense. Like, what do you mean the shields are down? Like, it was, yeah. it, was way more, <laughs> it was way more about talking to the audience as opposed to actually having a conversation with this character. You know what, Doug, you bring up a really good point about it because Han with Chewie in the shuttle Tidarium. That conversation isn't as easy to put together. Like, it actually, like, as a kid, required me, you know, two or three viewings to understand what Chewie was saying back to Han when he's just like, I don't know, fly casual. Like, that conversation isn't as exposition-ish as the the Neonum. Chewie had character. He had a personality. This guy, I can't even, Neonum, Neonum, I still don't even know if I'm saying his name correctly because it's like he was, his whole thing was just to sit there and act surprised. Yeah, I've, I've always tried to avoid saying his name because I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly. <laughs> if he gets a great character, then great. No one will be happier than me. He'll finally be justified for being there other than just having Lando bounce dialogue off him. Why couldn't the fucking Lobot? Lobot should be flying the damn Millennium Falcon next to Lando. That is true. I don't know, but Lobot is heavily featured in the Lando comic, and it's cool. Why isn't Lobot his co-pilot? He fucking should be. I don't know. <laughs> uh, is what? Lobot making repairs in the back this whole time? <laughs> like, I mean, that that makes sense at least. It's like Lobot's <laughs> in the back making sure every, the engine's... No, he, he's he's in the lower gun turret. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah that too. why not? <laughs> With his scientific precision. Yeah, who is <laughs> at that? Well, if you want to know one of the Legends continuity, it was uh, the protagonist from the X-Wing Alliance game, Ace Azamine, because that was the <laughs> final levels as you played as him in one of the turrets as you're going through the Death Star. Wow. And Lobot's in the other one. I don't know who was in the other one, actually. I can't. Um, That's the way it is now. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what's going on with Neem Num right now. Sullust, the planet that Neem Num's race comes from, it is all over the place right now. It surprised me by being a level 
in Star Wars Battlefront. Trying to justify his character. You don't see any other Celestians. Like, I mean, you might see like a couple, a handful in the background of Return of the Jedi, but they otherwise they're just sort of thrown the, in. And there was a really good one with a Russian accent that owned the diner in Clone Wars. Oh, God. <laughs> you see like kind of the origins of his work with the Rebel Alliance on a mission to Sullust in the Princess Leia comic that just came out. He's intentionally there. They're building him up as a character. Who in the storybook has the Nian Nun hard on? Like, it's got to be someone, right? If they're kind of directing this. Well, probably Hidalgo. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Chi. According to Ultimate Star Wars, Nim Nyam is a longtime friend of Lando's. Long time. Yeah, I've never heard that before. So that's probably going to show up in the comic book, I suppose. Where, where the hell was he on Cloud City? Working for the Rebels, not on Cloud City. Lobot, man. That's where it's at. On a completely different subject, it's rumored that Max von Sydow's character in Force Awakens, who is a, uh, a kind of like reclusive, perhaps religious man on Jakku, is actually old Boba Fett. I don't know. Why? Now, I think this is rampant fan speculation who just say, wouldn't it be great if Boba Fett was in this and we well, had to be old? Hey, and wait a minute, Max von Sydow's an old guy. It's late era reminiscent of the Expanded Universe, too. He was kind of on Mandalore, sort of tribal leader of some agrarian race of warriors, as Karen Travis likes to portray them as. It's just too, oh yeah, it's a village, and you know, some older guy that, you know, has, it's like, no, come on. Yeah, I don't buy I've it for a second. i also heard the rumor that they say not only is he Boba Fett, but that Rey is his daughter, so the new trilogy is going to be starring the daughter of Boba Fett. I don't know, man. I, that whole thing just sounds like the fetophiliacs. Oh, <laughs> no, shit. What, 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 uh, uh, that, that would be fetophile? Fetophiles. Yeah. There you go. That's the one. Fetophiles. Yeah, pedophile. <laughs> I, I, I'm a convicted pedophile. One of our earliest uh, big Star Wars episodes on Nerdy Show was called Fetophiles because we interviewed uh, Jeremy Bullock and uh, Daniel Logan in the same episode. We had a, a graphic that was kind of like a certain running bear, but was a Wookiee and wearing a Boba Fett helmet. We considered making it a t-shirt, but we thought about that maybe was taking it too far because even... The, and that, and the that, graphics that taken the wrong way by people who know a little bit too much about one thing and not enough about the other. <laughs> yeah, that was basically the concern. <laughs> Otherwise, there would have been t-shirts. <laughs> other episode seven details that are far more fleshed out than who Von Saito might be come from uh, Star Wars Lego sets and also the Annie Leibovitz Vanity Fair photos that recently came out. She did some really great shots that we'll link to on this episode's page, and among them was a really cool group shot of a bunch of alien characters from some place called uh, Maz Kanata's Castle, which is presumably the, the ominous castle featured in a lot of the script summaries that we've looked over and the um, production artwork that leaked long ago. Really, really cool Star Wars style creatures, lots of creatures, the likes of which we've never seen before. And from the Lego set, there's a playset called Battle on Takodana, and it's much speculated that uh, perhaps that's the planet where Maz Kanata's castle is. I'm not a huge fan of the naming conventions for planets thus far in Force Awakens. Now, I mean, we've yeah. gotten some silly names, and I love how George couldn't come up with a better thing for where the hidden rebel, rebel base was except Dantooine, which sounds just like Tatooine. It's only the third planet they've mentioned in the entire series, and, it's, <laughs> and it rhymes with the first planet. But... Taco Dana is, we'll see. I mean, it probably just depends on presentation on It sounds, it on sounds like another Taco Bell tie-in. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm personally excited for, the, uh, the, the Taco Dana special at Taco Bell. Uh, it'll probably be a box, too. Oh, with a cool Star Wars cup. 
Oh, yeah, that is exciting. <laughs> well, I really hope we get to see the return of the episode one gigantic plastic heads to stick on the top of your shitty Taco Bell cups. <laughs> Honestly, I think the Phantom Menace's highlight for me was how good and outrageous the merchandising tie-in with other places was. Like, you know, obviously the figures, the you know, new Star Wars toys and everything was cool, but Phantom Menace really takes the cake when it comes to just being everywhere every restaurant every store i hope force awakens goes the same route in like a horribly cheesy way but i don't think it will be when you think about it who wouldn't want to suck their liquid through a straw through the head of jar jar or wado like what i i don't understand the thought process behind any of that stuff granted i bought all of it but i didn't because this exactly before, before we knew what happened with the movie we're like oh we're gonna buy this and hopefully one day it'll be worth some money just like the bd babies were so holding on to I really hope that we see a lot of, you know, junk food tie-ins like the Taco Bell stuff. I don't know if Butterfinger BBs are still a thing, but they should bring them back if they're not. Yeah. Butterfinger BB-8s. Huh? Oh, nail on the head, man. And they're just circular. They're not even carved up. It'd probably just be a, you know, basically a Butterfinger ball that looks like a malted milk ball. For me personally, Butterfinger BBs are the one snack from like the 90s that I want back more than like almost anything because I, I still feel they were the best version of that candy. But tying it into Star Wars in that way, how could you not? Like it's BB-8, Butterfinger BBs. Come on. Let the candy companies know you want Butterfinger BB-8s. <laughs> Demand it. It's the perfect. You go see it. You, you, you buy it in the movie theater. You go sit down. You watch the freaking movie. You can scoop it. It's so easy. Yep, and when you need to wash them down, you just go over and you drink out of your uh, Nia Noom. <laughs> Are we starting to figure out that Abrams' favorite movie actually is Return of the Jedi instead of the original? <laughs> Shit, maybe. Because, I mean, look at it. Akbar, Nia Noon, uh, Wicket. I think well, I, I think mean, Jedi is actually his favorite film. You know, I was going to say that the one argument that I was going to have for why it would still be A New Hope is because it starts on a desert planet, goes on to an Imperial ship of some kind, and then they have to make an escape disguised as Imperial things. But when you think about it, Return of the Jedi starts on a desert planet. There's also kind of a foresty planet. And we see a glimpse of a foresty planet in the teaser with uh, the bad guy igniting his, his saber. So, yeah, and, and speculation that the good guys will have to actually fight. I mean, that's a weird thing about A New Hope is that Luke doesn't actually have a direct confrontation with Vader the entire film. And this movie, it looks like our heroes are actually going to face the bad guy right away. Or at least in the first movie, I mean. Could be. Let's talk Rogue One. It's filming right now, at least as of this episode's release. Gary Whitta, the guy who came up with the idea for Rogue One, who wrote the original draft of the script, recently had an interview with Blaster, and he said that he actually had no idea that his pitch was going to become a movie. He thought maybe it would be a video game or novelization and was really shocked when it got picked up. And Rogue One, as you could tell from our previous episode where we talked about the reveal and the big conversation with director Gareth Edwards about what it was going to be about and, and everything. We were really impressed. We were really impressed with everything he said. And Gary Whitta's new quote echoes the amount of, I guess, confidence that we all have with how good a film this could likely be. He says, I spent the best part of a year on uh, the script working very close with Gareth Edwards. He's one of the smartest filmmakers I've ever met and also one of the few people I've ever met who's an even bigger Star Wars fan than I am. I think he would rather die than not get the film right. I already had a lot of hope for it based on what we saw at Celebration, but every quote that they've been releasing, like everything that you're reading, has just made me more and more excited 
when I'm starting to tell people about Rogue One, where it's like, oh, I can't wait for episode seven. I'm like, yeah, but I can't wait for Rogue One. They go, I keep hearing about that. What is that? Then I explain it to them. It gets me excited just to explain it to other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a feeling it's going to be the most un-Star Wars, Star Wars thing that's ever come out. Easily. Which, which I think is, is exciting. You know, things that sort of walk that edge, like 1313 and Force Unleashed, you know, kind of like, you know, one just didn't. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This and the other, you know, they are video games, which is why I think he probably assumed Rogue One would, that's where the pitch would go, because they kind of, for some reason, the video game format seems to be where they want to take that direction of Star Wars when you do things differently. Sometimes comics, but it's nice that it's going to be a film that seems to have a lot of confidence behind it. Yeah, no, it, it bodes well, and it, it clearly shows they're going to do things differently, which actually tags back to something about the young Han Solo film that I forgot to mention. Just because you're directing comedy films doesn't mean you're, you're not good directors, and I think that the, the guys they've got directing young Han Solo are good directors, but... It's funny to me that they've picked up two dudes whose repertoire and even their description about their excitement working on the film all suggest that it's got a comedy direction, which makes no sense for young Han Solo. Like, certainly funny, but I don't know what to make of it. It's a, it's a weird move. Yeah, and I think a Jump Street approach is probably where my mind keeps going when I hear about that, because they did that well, and maybe like more Star Wars. Parsec Street. <laughs> <laughs> The real question is, though, is the comedy between the buddy aspect of it that's going to be funny? Is it between Han and Chewie or is it between Han and Lando? I would love to see the two of them kicking around, but I don't know. Yeah. Gary Whitta is also writing an episode of Rebels, and it's speculated maybe, you know, maybe a Rogue One tie in, perhaps. Oh, I, I absolutely believe that. I really do think that it's going to tie into Rogue One. Well, I say it's speculated, but actually what I mean is you speculated, and and I latched on to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the fact that Gary Whitta himself, with those quotes, mentioned the interconnectedness of the new universe, that to me just says, well, look, he's going to another one of their current series. I mean, maybe it's because he's actually talking from experience about the interconnectedness of it. Very likely, very, very likely. And we don't really know much about who's going to be in Rogue One, but BBC has reported recently that Sherlock actor Jonathan Aris has been cast as a character called Senator Jabell. And also, while we're talking about Witta, we should plug a new novel of his that's just come out called Abomination. Sounds really cool. Witta's a great writer. If you loved Telltale's Walking Dead, then you love his work. The elevator pitches, in an attempt to prevent the Vikings from ever invading again, the 19th century English calamitously experiment with dark magic, but the magic gets out of control. Sounds interesting. Yeah, I'm intrigued. Would make that show Vikings more interesting. (laughs) 
And since uh, Nerdy Show Book Club is back in action, maybe we can get on that abomination tip sometime soon. That's not a promise, but it's a thought. Sound off in the forums. Now, it's actually kind of funny. We got the BBC confirming that actor and that it was part of Rogue One. That's one of the most definitive things we've got recently because lately, actor rumors, you can't even tell what damn movie they're being assigned to. <laughs> like, there's so much Star Wars coming out that most of the press that even starts these rumors to begin with gets all the information wrong. And if there is something true in there, you have to like really pick it apart to figure out what the hell they're talking about. But that's why you listen to State of the Empire. That's right. Case in point, Hong Kong tabloid Apple Daily reported that Chinese action star Donnie Yen got a role in Rain Johnson's episode eight and would soon be flying out to London to join Harrison Ford on screen. Now there's a bunch that's wrong with that statement. For example... Harrison Ford being in episode eight seems pretty unlikely. And episode eight isn't filming until later this year at the earliest. He just might not even be involved at all. But allegedly, he beat out the likes of Jet Li, Stephen Chow, Tony Ling, Chi Wa, Daniel Wu, Wang Li Home, and Chang Chen. I don't know. It's this crazy story. It could be completely false. Or maybe they're actually talking about Rogue One, which would sync up to the timeline for when this news story came out and everything. So it's possible that Donnie Yen is going to be in Rogue One, which would be super cool because that would mean that in addition to having this really neat story about rebels infiltrating Imperial bases and so on, there's going to be someone who's capable of doing, say, Darth Maul-style crazy fighting. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And I hope they give some liberties to like creating a unique martial art to Star Wars. I believe it's called Tereskazi. Yes, I wasn't going to go there, but <laughs> yes, it, 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 it is. Man, but that it, but PlayStation if it is, game. <laughs> I played the shit out of that game, and I refused. Oh. I, I, oh, man, back in the day, I refused to believe it was terrible. I'd subjected my friends to playing it way too much. It made its way into the actual uh, expanded universe. Uh, maybe a little too much, because it was supposed to be kind of a unique fighting style, but hey, they invented something, they got to use it. The idea that this new guy is going to be in Rogue One well, then why would someone say something about Harrison Ford? Because if Rogue One is about stealing Death Star plans, how would that line up? I mean, granted, that's all just a theory right now, but I don't think it's going to be old Harrison Ford. And I thought, well, if Harrison Ford's somehow involved, it would have to be him younger, but how are they going to do that? But then I realized, did you guys see Ant-Man? I haven't seen it yet, unfortunately. Yes, yes. I'm sure you're referring to the age makeup. Yes. The de-aging that they did for one scene with Michael Douglas... I thought was really cool. I thought they did it, a really good job. It was amazing to the point where when he initially appeared, I said to myself, wow, he's looking really good these days for his age. And it actually made me appreciate Tron Legacy more for being the first like major blockbuster to really try to do that. And yes, it doesn't work 100% of the time in that movie, but you know what? If that becomes a thing where in big budget movies, you're not limited to using an older actor for a younger person, that's great. And it having is. that realization just now made me hope beyond hope that young Han Solo would star Harrison Ford. <laughs> that, can you imagine? <laughs> no, I can't. And I want to so bad. I, I, I would do anything to make that happen. Just like, please, come on. You did it with Michael Douglas for Ant-Man. You did it in Tron Legacy. The technology is getting better all the time. I think it's time for a movie to do it and break the ground. Why not do it with Harrison Ford? Didn't we report before that Harrison Ford wanted to see an outline for the next three movies of Star Wars before he agreed to sign on and that he had to have certain stipulations? Well, what if one of them is a uh, young Han Solo? I would just oh say gosh. that as much as I love him and as much as I love this idea, his voice doesn't even sound remotely the same anymore. 
I don't give a shit because it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and that's a great example of how you take something that you think is going to be a superhero movie, but it's actually kind of like a heist movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to see with a young Han Solo movie. I want to see something that you think is going to be young Han Solo, just being a smuggler guy or whatever. But if it's actually a different, they're taking it in a different direction. Where It's not a biopic of Han Solo. It's just that he happens to be in it. I just want him working for Java. While I do really believe that the next anthology film to be announced is Boba Fett, there has been a lot of chatter that it could be an Obi-Wan film taking place between the two trilogies starring Ewan McGregor. While I like Ewan McGregor, I don't know what I'd rather not have, Han Solo or Obi-Wan Kenobi. I would definitely rather have Kenobi. You know, I don't even need it to be in between three and four if they told me it was a Clone Wars film starring just him and then, you know, whatever new characters they want to introduce. That would be just exciting to me. I want that movie more than, I know it's going to sound weird, more than I want episode seven. That does sound weird. Because to me, episode six has an ending. And this movie, you know, the upcoming movie can definitely convince me that it wasn't the ending. But as far as Untold Tales, I mean, Clone Wars does a good no, yeah, job. Of yeah, it. No, the Clone Wars TV show already gave you those stories and you already got glimpses of it with Ewan McGregor in the movies. So they're not going to retread that territory. Like they're not going to have Ewan McGregor, especially if you're not going to have Anakin Skywalker next to him. It's just weird to me. It's not even that like, yeah, Kenobi adventure taking place in between three and four can do the same thing for me. But it's the fact that they established that he's in self-imposed exile and Tatooine at the end of Revenge of the Sith. If they didn't have that, I would be like, oh, yeah, I don't know what he was up to between three and four. And then, you know, he shows up in episode four on Tatooine. Doesn't mean he was there the entire time. But but it's going to be weird when it's like, you know, what if it's a good film and it has sequels? It's like Kenobi's always got to return to Tatooine by the end. <laughs> you know, like it's kind of this weird. But James what would Bond. pull him away? Like what would pull Obi-Wan Kenobi away from watching over Luke? Well, knowing that Vader's out there. Well, I mean, there's all the new ideas that he's, you know, training with the Force Ghosts of Qui-Gon. Maybe Qui-Gon is his M, and they can make it a spy series. It's like James Bond, but with Obi-Wan. Like the fucking ghost couldn't show up on Tatooine. Why would he have to leave? And his code name is Ben, because they still haven't given him a reason for having (laughs) that name. He disguises himself as well as Luke does, because Luke still has the last name of Skywalker, and then Ben's still got the last name of Kenobi. But yet, Vader can't find him. Yeah, on Vader's home planet, where he was born and raised. Yeah, so, you know, Qui-Gon's like, oh, you know, you and Yoda have got to team up to go, I don't know, be rebels. I just want McGregor to be given a movie, because I think he did such a good job as young Obi-Wan, and he had such shit to work with. A lot of this rumor is coming from an article written on Entertainment Weekly called In the Shadow of Obi-Wan Kenobi by Anthony Bresnikan, and it's a really compelling argument for how this could work and why it should be done. However, unfortunately, I feel like the Obi-Wan rumor has been effectively shot down by Star Wars Issue 7, where Luke reads a journal that uh, was left for him by Obi-Wan in Obi-Wan's hut. It has stories basically like what he was doing when he was out there and a a story where he protected the Lars farm. It just doesn't seem like there's a chance for him to leave. Like He learns in this issue, well, I really can't even have a lacking vigilance for even a moment because something will go wrong. And it was a great issue, but I think unfortunately shoots down the idea of an Obi-Wan film between the two trilogies. Could it take place exclusively on Tatooine? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm sick to death of seeing that damn planet. <laughs> Let's switch gears again. Let's move on to TV. The Rebels season premiere is out, so now hopefully you've seen the awesome, awesome, very intense season premiere that we saw at Star Wars Celebration. However, the rest isn't coming till the fall, so we all got to wait now. It's interesting how early 
Siege of Lothal ended up coming out in comparison to when they, at least at Celebration, they seemed to indicate that it would follow it very mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I was surprised at how quickly they were saying they were going to debut it. I was like, wow, you guys are moving on a crazy schedule. And now it's coming out in the fall. So I think their plans changed, which is good. That means it'll be better, but it's weird. Yeah. But the big news coming out of TV is rumors about Star Wars television shows on Netflix. Cineflix is reporting from multiple sources that Disney is looking into a number of Star Wars Netflix shows. I've heard so many rumors over the years of Star Wars television shows. I'm just going to believe it when I see it at this point. I agree with you, Doug. Especially, I liked Daredevil, but I didn't like the quality. There were at times when the show looked really cheap compared to cable or network TV. And I, I worry Star Wars does require a certain amount of budget and care. And I think movies taking place in real-life Earth, like the Marvel movies do, especially with the level of heroes that they're yes, using... definitely, definitely real-life Earth. <laughs> ...is that they can just crank them out, and the story doesn't necessarily have to suffer. Because, you know, it's just, well, let's concentrate on story, and then we'll just make it. But, like, Star Wars requires not just the story, but then also the effects and everything else. And I just worry that if they did go to Netflix, they would cut corners. I agree, and I completely understand, but who's to say that we're talking about a miniseries like Daredevil when it could easily be something more like Band of Brothers, where it's not even like a whole season of something. It's more of like an event. That's more intriguing. Yeah. yeah. I think I just went to Daredevil because that would be the model that I, I would, well, would initially Marvel, think of. Marvel's owned by Disney, and that, yeah. that, I mean, that, that makes total sense, of course, but what's to say that it's not more like a couple feature-length episodes that last maybe six episodes? And then you could put more money into that. You could definitely up the special effects and everything else. And then you can tell a more concise story in a short amount of time as opposed to a whole season of a show where you go really in-depth with each character. Which, you know, I would be interested in seeing too. But I agree. I don't know how you're going to make a Netflix show that has that level of effects and that level of everything else. But then again, you know, before I saw Daredevil, I thought, how are you going to even do Daredevil? Even though it was contemporary New York, I just thought, like, how are you ever going to do that? But it it surprised me. So the major suggestion over what they could achieve with Netflix has been that it would involve characters that they wouldn't necessarily have an ideal platform for in other formats, like someone that they would want to give to a visual format as opposed to a novel. Like they want to see an actor playing a role on screen, but don't have the time to tell other stories in another medium so they'd be able to do limited series focusing on certain characters and that's completely unsubstantiated all of it is at this point but if that's true then that's a fun way to do it they could put all their money into say four 30 minute episodes and you know be done disney doesn't want to create a weak product in spite of let's say the final episode of daredevil and how dumb the suit actually looked once it finally put on his superhero costume which uh, I got to say, I felt the same way at first, but on repeat viewings, it grew on me. You know, once they introduced characters like Luke Cage and Iron Fist who require special effects to showcase their powers, maybe... And Iron Fist has an even goofier suit than Daredevil does. Yeah, maybe we'll see some things, you know, go down differently. But it's a learning curve, but uh, it, it's, a, it's an exciting possibility. Now on to video games. I played Star Wars Battlefront at E3. I talked about it on our E3 podcast, which is, I guess, what I'll reference, but... I'll say this in short, I played the standard issue multiplayer on a big map, and it was okay. The gameplay, it's not for me personally, I mean, I like first-person shooters, but there's not much substance there in the mode I was playing. The render distance was pretty dubious. I was playing on PS4, and I don't know why the render distance wasn't better. 
could it be the game's not done yet, Cap? Oh, it could be. It certainly could be. I don't know why they'd show it off if that was going to be a problem. But they recently released details on the amazing-looking aerial dogfights and then also a uh, team deathmatch called Blast, which is all exciting, cool stuff. The game's coming out really soon, and there's a lot of hosts at Nerdy Show who are going to get into it. So I don't know what the squad setup is like, but maybe we can get like a Nerdy Show community thing set up so we can all fire blasters at each other, because that would be pretty rad. That would be rad. And actually, if you want to hear expanded discussion on Star Wars Battlefront, we get into some of the gameplay details and our opinions of them and the community's opinions of them in a bonus perk that um, may or may not be out by the time you hear this, but it will be out soon. And along with that is a discussion over an hour in length with myself and Matt and also Colin about all kinds of stuff. Clone Wars, Avatar, a dream about a Predator movie I had, more intense Jurassic World talk. I got to point out that the Nerdy Show team is actually kind of split down the middle about this. You just so happen to be rolling with a bunch of people who don't particularly care for it. And that's also the case in this bonus content. And some weird bombshells about the Marvel films, the upcoming DC films. I mean, it's all over the place. I wish that it was something that we'd recorded on purpose, but it does not have a format that would play well as an episode, per se. So that's going to be bonus content coming soon to the Nerdy Show Patreon. You can subscribe and you will get this at a tier of $5 or more. In other Star Wars gaming news, there's a lot of very cool story-oriented gaming news. At E3, it was announced that there is an expansion for the Old Republic called Knights of the Fallen Empire, which is uh, a little strange because they've been actually sort of doing self-deprecating ads saying, like, if you are looking for the kind of storytelling that for some reason you think wasn't present in the Old Republic because you wanted Knights of the Old Republic and you think that this game hasn't delivered, we are offering you Knights of the Old Republic-style storytelling in the Old Republic which is a very confusing sentence, I imagine, if you aren't familiar with either of those games. But the important part is they have created sort of a game within a game. If you own the Old Republic, you will be able to play this game called Knights of the Fallen Empire, which takes place hundreds of years after the Old Republic. And it's a standalone KOTOR-style story. You can play it with your character that you've already played in the Old Republic, if your character's over level 60, or start with a brand new level 60 character your character will be then frozen in carbonite and then wake hundreds of years later to deal with this problem where a new faction is raising hell against both the Empire and the Republic. I personally, coming from an expanded universe standpoint, have a lot of issues with the Sith Empire being as relevant for as long as they were. It kind of diminishes their, you know, quote-unquote return if you have that 5,000-year period before the original movie in which the comics, Tales of the Jedi, took place. And then a thousand years later, you have all the Knights of the Republic stuff. And then it was something like a couple hundred years later was the Old Republic. And now you're going in Carbonite for a couple hundred years more. And you have the Sith Empire still around. And then even beyond that. Star Wars, Matt. You got to have a war. If if there's no war, it's not Star Wars. I know, but at this point, just expect the Sith are going to come back. It's not that big a deal. (laughs) They They were always there. Those damn wily Sith and still no one's bothered to explain to me why the conflict is the way it is. I, mean, I guess there's a little bit of origin stuff, but it's pretty loose. But did you see that trailer? It looked really cool. It looked terrific. And what's funny is everyone does the same thing after all those Old Republic trailers. And now this one, it's always, why doesn't Blur Studios, why aren't they given the rights to do a Star Wars movie? Like, those trailers are really expensive to produce that well. Can you, like, a two-hour movie, 
rendered like that, yeah, it probably would be really awesome, but it'd be really expensive. <laughs> it'd be a great Netflix series. Oh man, actually, it would be. I wonder how much Netflix would be willing to throw into like a production like that. It could mm. could be. Now you're talking like not two hours. You're talking ten hours potentially. Then it gets really expensive. But maybe only eight episodes at a time, like every six months. Yeah, it's possible. That's a, that's an interesting proposition. Something to consider, executives. But uh, Knights of the Fallen Empire comes out October 27th, and as I said, it's totally free if you have the game. And we'll link to our more comprehensive article on that on Nerdy Show. A little side tangent, there's rumors, multiple sources, who say that there could be a KOTOR remake. And supposedly, and everyone, even the guy who wrote this news brief about it that I, that I read was like, I, this is, this, I know this sounds crazy, but this is what they're telling me. It's coming sooner than later. The announcement could happen the fourth quarter of this year for a possible quarter three or four 2016 release. I sort of believe it, not necessarily the release date, because I think they would be creeping up on Mass Effect 4 territory, which is also Bioware. Yeah. But I feel like it would not shock me to find out that with Mass Effect Andromeda, probably you're coming out 2016, I imagine. And they had a tendency to do a game in between, and Dragon Age Inquisition is already out and released. I wouldn't be surprised if after their next project was Knights of Republic. I don't think they'd call it three, because the first two don't all into canon anymore but this new battlefront is simply battlefront i wouldn't be surprised if they kind of rebooted the series with a uh, republic which i don't want by the way because i don't think bioware is actually that good anymore i hated dragon age inquisition but that's a whole nother conversation it was last year that xbox had phil spencer said he was hoping for a kotor remake so take of that what you will something could be happening with kotor though especially with the Old Republic and their deprecating. This update's just like KOTOR, you guys. Ad yep. campaign. It could happen. So if uh, Knights of the Fallen Empire is successful and they go, see, this is what people always wanted, was something more like KOTOR, which, you know, whatever that means. And then they say, okay, we're going to make a single-player game like you guys have wanted. With, you know, added DLC and those weird things that Mass Effect 3 and Inquisition did, where you have a weird multiplayer mode that ties into the single... Ah, uh, uh, sorry. Getting angry at Inquisition again. <laughs> Okay, how about this? Star Wars Uprising. It's a mobile game, and this is part of the Journey to the Force Awakens post-episode 6, pre-episode 7 storyline stuff. It's a mobile game. It's a mobile RPG that promises to have in-depth storytelling, and it's being developed by a studio called Kabam. comes out this fall, and it's an interesting thing. Now, I don't like mobile games at all, not even a little, and they're telling me that it's going to be a unique and immersive gameplay experience, I was like, forget it. No way. Yeah, I don't think so. However, it's being written by Daniel Erickson, the uh, former creative director of The Old Republic, and it's also being worked on by prolific Clone Wars animation supervisor Danny Keller. And the trailer is really good, mm -hmm. and it seems pretty neat because it's about criminal and rebel factions trying to take advantage of the panic of the Empire immediately after the fall of the second Death Star and the announcement that the Rebels have triumphed over the Imperials, that Palpentine is dead, and then the Imperials are saying, oh, don't even believe that, it's all lies. It just seems like a really dynamic point to explore. And either one, it's going to be awesome that you're exploring it through this mobile game, or two, it's going to be awful that you're having to explore it through this mobile game. 
it all sounds great until that first pop-up shows up three minutes into the game that says, if you want to speed up the time it takes to harvest the spice to sell to Jabba, purchase more credits through just microtransactions. You can do that now, or you can just wait for 18 hours. It's like, all right, I'll put the mobile game down. I'll check it again tomorrow at work during lunchtime. Oh, yeah, it finished finished the loading cycle. Now I can sell that spice. Now I can level up my character. It appears to be an action-based game. It doesn't look like there's going to be any like waiting, any kind of like resource management. We'll see. But man, I'm, I'm just sick of mobile games and their microtransactions. Yeah, I'm not legitimately excited for it, but something good could come of it. And uh, they're working with the community an awful lot. There's been a lot of polls to decide like what features the game should include. And in fact, the community is actually officially hosted on Wikipedia. Cool. So. Yeah, and I think the beta's out in the Australia or New Zealand market. I believe, and mm-hmm. the reaction has been pretty decent. So time will tell. I suppose at the very least, because the community is based on Wikipedia, any key plot points will be very easy to reference for all of us who don't want to spend the time on it. It's interesting that all this journey to the Force Awakens stuff, it's so immediately post-Jedi that I have a really hard time believing it's going to give us anything about the Force Awakens, anything significant. Because the Greg Rucka comic takes place immediately after Jedi. Aftermath takes place immediately after Jedi. 30 years is a long time for you to tell me that the events that this novel comic and video game are showcasing have any influence whatsoever on events 30 years in the future. It does seem extremely unlikely. Yeah. Coincidental or casual at best. I saw one decent theory today that the child of the two main characters is the husband-wife team in Shattered Empire. Yeah, and they they have a kid, yeah. I saw a theory that it is uh, Oscar Isaac's character from Force Awakens. Oh, that could be cool. That makes that yeah. kind of makes a lot of sense too. Age-wise, it works. The background, you know, is very strange. They mention like their newborn baby. You know, like mm-hmm. this is Shattered Empire, which is a four-issue miniseries written by Greg Rucka that comes out September second. It sounds like it's going to be awesome. There was a recently released interview with Rucka on StarWars.com that just it's an incredible read. He's a great writer, one of my favorites, and his love for Star Wars is pretty intense. He's like, I wrote for Marvel and DC, but they were never my religion. Star Wars is my religion, so this is super important to me. Yeah, and my skepticism around this Journey to the Force Awakens concept is not around the quality of what's going to come out. Like, I think that comic, the comic looks great. The preview stuff they've put up on StarWars.com looks amazing, but I just don't know how much it's actually going to give us about the Force Awakens, especially since a lot of it comes out in September. And it's still quite a while away from the movie. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of wait and see. And of course, stick with us in State of the Empire and we'll uh, take care of all your needs when it comes to putting the pieces together. Once we get more pieces to put together. There's so many pieces out there right now. It's so hard to get them together. It's going to feel pretty amazing when it all does come together. We can see how much of a lie we've been living. (laughs) (laughs) Other video game news. I had hands on with Disney Infinity, the Star Wars stuff. It's great. You will not believe the quality of these figurines. It is unreal. I've seen more than a few of them in person, like boxed, not even prototypes, like actual boxed figures. The quality is amazing. The sculpts are great. It's debuting August 30th. You can pre-order them now in two sets, the Clone Wars prequel era and a set called Twilight of the Republic and the original trilogy era with a set called Rise of the Empire. It also has standalone figures, including characters from Star Wars Rebels, amazing Sabine figure with her like standing on a Stormtrooper helmet. And uh, the thing that you don't see reported on much is that there is actually a third set coming out, just not on August 30th. When Force Awakens comes out, there will be, pretty much in tandem with it, likely December, a um, Force Awakens set. 
more information from our E3 report linked on this episode's page. And then one final thing, a rumor that Star Wars 1313, some version of that thing, not necessarily in story, but perhaps in gameplay of that uncharted reminiscent gameplay, some part of Star Wars 1313 might be alive. This is a game that looked incredible. We saw an amazing demo of it at E3 several years ago, and then Lucasfilm was purchased by Disney, and LucasArts was scrapped, and so was 1313. Amy Henning, who is one of the lead creatives behind Uncharted, is now at Visceral, and in a recent panel with Nolan North at a convention, he verified that the game she's working on, which is a Star Wars game, is different, but along the same lines as 1313. Fingers crossed. It just uh, sounds good. I just want more of it. Star Wars video games have a tendency to just rehash what is from the movies. You know, it's just we're going to go Tatooine. We're going to go to Hoth. We're going to go to Endor. Every fucking game, Hoth battle. Every game. And uh, it's very exciting when on the horizon is something that can add to the lore as opposed to draw from it. And that's why 1313 was so exciting. It was like go into the deepest, darkest corner of the Star Wars universe with an M-rated Star Wars game. Hey, and, and level 1313 is itself canon because it was mentioned in the Clone Wars show. That's right. It can come back. One final note about video game-related news is that I finally did get to play Star Wars Battle Pod. Oh, yes. How was it? I'm very jealous. I haven't done it yet. Well, it's very expensive, <laughs> so I only got yeah. to play one round. I was with Nina at the time, and I was sitting in the pod, and I was just like, which one should we do? And she picked the Battle of Yavin. So I'm like, Battle of Yavin, sure thing. Crack the knuckles, grab the joystick, and we go for it. And it was a lot of fun. My only complaint was that, well, I shouldn't even say complaint, but rather the downside was that when you pick the Battle of Yavin, you don't get the wind blowing in your face because you're in space. <laughs> so they're really, they, I, didn't, I didn't get the full experience, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, it's arcade shooter like you'd expect. Intense. It took a second for me to really get a handle of the controls because it was moving so fast and was so intense. But I can't wait to play it again. I want to play some more levels just to see what it was like. But if anyone's curious, my final score for the Battle of Yavin was uh, two stars out of three with a total score of 566,400. I took a photo with my phone of my score. So if anyone wants to try and beat it, we'll see who's the better X-Wing pilot. Because after it was done, I, of course, destroyed the Death Star on my first go. You know, I've only been training for it my whole life. So that was (laughs) given. I died at Hoth, which I think is appropriate. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was sort of a loss. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Post your scores on the Nerd Show forums or on this episode's page and uh, let us know your thoughts on Battle Pod. If you're curious to play this thing, I know I am, you got to probably get yourself to a Dave and Buster's is the best place to play it. It's an immersive rail shooter kind of game. Now, it's been a long episode, but I'm sure you guys won't mind if we spend a little bit more time on something near and dear to our hearts. It is, of course... Willow Watch. As usual, there's not much to report. We are going to do our full all Willow episode of State of the Empire, our all Willow Watch episode, as soon as we can. However, Matt, you were at some kind of a Disney function. Yeah, they were featured at a marketing conference. Okay, so you were at a Disney marketing conference. It was a marketing conference that Disney was at. They were one of the presenters. While you were there, for no reason, completely unprompted, they mentioned Willow. Yes, it came up a kind of some context. They were talking about marketing campaign for Rebels. And they mentioned how in order to kind of like make the assets and everything realistic, 
because canon isn't just a story thing. It's also in presentation of vehicles and, and everything else is they went to go view all the props. And they mentioned that the Lucasfilm prop archives have all of the Willow props safely stored alongside the Indiana Jones and Star Wars. And, and those are the only movies that they mentioned, although I do assume that it probably includes some other Lucasfilm properties. But those are the three major franchises of Lucasfilm, right? Right. Well, I mean, and I thought that was really interesting that like they didn't there was no reason for them to mention Willow other than perhaps that individual marketing dude's enthusiasm for that fact alone, which bodes well. The more- it, it does. But it, you know, the person that mentioned it was such a on the business side of things that I find it hard to believe that the enthusiast, not that people that are in the business side of things are not creative individuals. But basically, they said Star Wars and Indiana Jones there. You've, you've established what you mean. But the fact that you also mentioned Willow to me, means something. To all of us, should mean something. <laughs> it does. We got to get out there. All of you guys listening, all you fans of Willow out there, we got to keep talking about Willow. We got to keep pushing this into the collective consciousness because we can, by virtue of just talking about it constantly, make Willow 2 a reality. In fact, you know, we confirmed on State of the Empire long ago from sources within Disney that the Lucasfilm purchase did include Willow. We knew that it could be an assumed fact, but we wanted to get it confirmed, so we did get it confirmed. But it was confirmed to the general public for all those poor fools who don't listen to say to the Empire. In Vanity Fair not too long ago, there was an interview with Kathleen Kennedy where she mentioned that both Willow and Radioland murders were also acquired by Disney in the purchase. That's interesting. And I see also that Disney now has the full rights to EO along with that, because that was always a weird split thing with Coppola's company. But I guess now that they own Lucasfilm, they own all of it now. Yeah, in fact, um, it was told to me that uh, the likelihood of a Captain EO figure for Disney Infinity is very high. Oh, wow. dude, if they did that, okay, that would be that would be the thing that would make me buy Disney Infinity. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not exactly ashamed to say that it's like with all the Star Wars stuff coming, I'm like, oh, yeah, Disney Infinity, Star Wars stuff, that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, Marvel, all that stuff, that's kind of cool. If they release Captain EO or Mad Mardigan or Willow. I was just about to say, it wouldn't surprise me if when they have to start digging into the well that they dig up some Willow, put it into Infinity. There's a guy who I talk with every year at E3. He always shows me around the Disney Infinity stuff. Really awesome dude. Every single year we talk Willow. I think it's going to happen sooner or later. I really do. I, 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 I will definitely have to pick it up if it goes in that direction. That is amazing. <laughs> Using the Willow in my everyday life has replaced Thanks Obama. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> and thus ends Willow Watch. In other Lucasfilm news, Kathleen Kennedy said from that same interview to the ends of another indie movie will one day be made inside this company. When it will happen, I'm not quite sure. We haven't started working on a script yet, but we are talking about it. Meanwhile, downtown Disney in Orlando is being turned into Disney Springs, and with it, they're building a lot of weird new stuff, including a very subtle Indiana Jones-themed bar. It's called Jock's Hangar, as in Jock, the guy who has a pet boa constrictor at the beginning of Raiders. Yeah, the pet snake Reggie, the namesake is used on a little steamboat that looks like something they took out of the the Jungle Cruise at Magic Kingdom, and the name Reggie is on it. So there's even a reference to the snake in in Raiders of the Lost Ark put into this. So the rumors surrounding that there's going to be a lot of little hidden references all throughout this bar has got me, as an Indiana Jones fan, has got me very excited. I can't wait to go in and see it. 
You know, but if they were going to do something indie related, they should have double dipped and just built the club Obi-Wan. And I only say that because Jock's Hangar to me is probably going to be, like you mentioned, kind of Jungle Cruise like Disney's been there. And I think a club Obi-Wan that kind of is a little more specifically Southeast Asia would be kind of cool. I agree, but I think Disney, when it comes down to Disney, they're like, okay, can parents take kids into Jock's Hangar? Yes. Can parents take kids into Club Obi-Wan? And not necessarily, because, I mean, in the film, everyone's there in a tux or a cocktail dress or something. So it would kind of ruin the aesthetic to walk in to Club Obi-Wan in shorts and, you know, it's really hot out. Also, I think, hey, I'm happy with as much Indiana Jones-themed stuff as you can get. But when I look at the renderings of Jock's Hangar, it should be Tailspin-themed bar. (laughs) It should be Louie's. It should be. I mean, it's, as a bar, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, okay, you got me. Matt, you're, you're a detractor of Jock's Hangar, but damn it, you've got some points. <laughs> this is all part of my mission to revive the Tailspin franchise. <laughs> kind of a signature a, drink would just be a banana daiquiri. Oh, God, and now, oh, now I want a banana daiquiri. I mean, how fun would a Crimson Skies-inspired action film Tailspin be? I mean... Oh, are you pitching a live-action Tailspin reboot thing? like to go with cinderella and all that jazz. i'm a little wary on live action but at the same time I, I want the stunts to have some meaning like mad max did so like i want live action but at the same time i don't know how a, a bear and a tiger and everything else is going to work out no they i mean as, as as funny as i think it would be to see the the attempt at realistic anthropomorphic characters or some kind i think they just you know blue would be a human dude a likable human dude and kit cloud kicker would be nah 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 you can do it like how they did uh, paddington bear paddington bear was all right like yeah, actually paddington was pretty decent yeah if you just did that with tailspin you don't even have to have people in it just make it just make it cg animals there's a, there's a million cg animal movies every year why not have one where they're just wearing people clothes and they're flying around in airplanes because i got I, I, uh, I gotta be honest i never cared for the tv show the what? opening credits were great. Ah, for shame. O- opening Shut credits were great. The characters, <laughs> the design, everything was amazing about it, except every episode put me to sleep. It never did it for me. There was never nearly as much flying as there, as there should have been in that, in that show. We're well off topic right now. <laughs> we got Blur Studios to do it. <laughs> yeah, Blur, Blur Studios. Forget your Star wow. Wars movies. We're doing Tailspin. But on that note, we got to wind things down. We need your help, though. We have a Nerdy Show survey. It's for the entire network. State of the Empire, Nerdy FM, all the shows, everything on the network. And we need just a bit of your time to fill this out. Let us know how we can better grow our entire network. So if you're a fan of State of the Empire and only that or several other things on the network, we need to hear from you. Just go to nerdyshow.com survey and click the link. We have two versions. We have one version that should take you about 10 minutes and one version that could take you much longer depending on how many answers you want to give us. The longer version is better, but it is a bit of a commitment if you're into giving detailed responses. The more responses we can get, the more awesome it is for us. But uh, whatever you can give us, we will still be very grateful and it will still help us a great deal. So nerdyshow.com slash survey. Take the survey and also support Nerdy Show. There's all kinds of clips available. Deleted State of the Empire outtakes, deleted other film and media conversations, exclusive episodes sometimes, early releases, all that's at nerdyshow.com slash Patreon. If you want to see more State of the Empire more regularly, well, we're going to need your help, like I said earlier, to afford those editors. We're working towards a goal of $1,000 a month, and we're at uh, 700 and change right now, so we're getting there. But if you can offer anything, even a dollar will get you cool stuff. 
and get us that much closer towards our ultimate goal of podcast domination. If you can't afford to subscribe monthly, you can always give us a one-time donation. And when you do, you can send us a message that we'll read here on the show. Let us know if you dig State of the Empire or what you're most interested in hearing about. Right now, we got to give a special shout out from uh, some of our most regular one-time donors, Caitlin and Ethan Kruger, who every month do a different call and response message back and forth in multiple donations. And this time, it's super strange. Uh, have a listen to this. <laughs> And of course, one of the greatest ways that you can support Nerdy Show, in addition to all those previously mentioned ways, is simply by telling a friend. If you love State of the Empire and your other friends who love Star Wars aren't listening to State of the Empire, you should totally get them into State of the Empire. Just saying. And hopefully you can expect more from us real soon. If everything goes our way, there's going to be so much more Star Wars news to talk about. We're going to try to get the next State of the Empire out pretty quickly. Taking us out is a track called Steampunk Boba Fett by the Aeronauts from their 2012 record, The White Lie Album. This band's only got a few small releases, but uh, they carry with them some substantial star power because among their member is Brant Cooley, a.k.a. Professor Shy Guy. Now, I don't know what the current status of the Aeronauts is. Last I saw from them on any social media was in early 2014. But their tracks are still out there on Bandcamp. If you haven't heard of them, you should totally check them out. You can hear them on nerdy.fm, and uh, you're about to hear Steampunk Boba Fett right now. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on State of the Empire. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Doug. Bye, I'm Matt. Coming up from the dust in the morning.
Thanks for listening to Nerdy Show. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or like and follow us on SoundCloud. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows on the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend or funding the network via Patreon. Any size contribution gets you exclusive outtakes, episodes, and images from across the network, and there's even more perks available. Just head to patreon.com slash nerdyshow. To find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com slash sponsorships. You can subscribe to Nerdy Show via iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a comment, like and share, and follow Nerdy Show on all your favorite social networks. For more podcasts, articles, community forums, and other awesomeness, visit nerdyshow.com. If it's geeky, we got it covered. I got two Star Wars jokes. First one's uh, a clone trooper walks into a cantina and he looks at the barman and he goes, have you seen my brother? And the barman says, I don't know. What's he look like? He's a clone. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're always supposed to be bad. I, 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 that, one was, that one was particularly. It was catastrophic <laughs> bad. Oh, I got, a, I, got, I got a better one for you. Two Jawas walk under a bar. Okay. Instead of walk into a bar, because they're, they're short. Under a bar, they're short. Exactly. Oh man. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.